0: Every day, during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is spending 10 minutes or so with book readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of time on their hands. Today, I'm joined by the author of The Apple Tree Throne and Beneath the Rising, rise, writer and editor Premi Muhammad, who joins me from, look, honestly, somewhere in North America-y, canada space, somewhere up over there. Hello, Premi, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's my great pleasure. How are you? How are you dealing with these strange and difficult times?
1: I think I am dealing uh, a lot better than my extroverted friends. (laughs) The only difficulty I think so far is that I can't focus and I can't write. And for some reason, my deadlines
0: don't (laughs) respect that. (laughs) Well, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of t- touches on and preempts what, some of the things I was going to be asking you because I was going to say, I mean, I've found talking to people over the last three months during this period of time, that there's a really different response to that sense of being shut in, being required to do things that really can either inspire and push you and focus you, or as you're saying, just scatter you completely. So that's kind of how it's been for you.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I had all these responsibilities, of course, and I hate mm-hmm. letting people down. And so since everything started uh, March 14th on my end, I finished something like five or six solicited short stories and completed and handed in my novel. And th- this whole time, the pandemic and, and this fear has just been hanging over me, like it's reading over my shoulder everything I try to write and <laughs> I can't concentrate It'll come. I'm back. sure I'm not doing my best work.
0: <laughs> I don't know that we should beat ourselves up about that frankly. I think <laughs> you just got to do what you got to do to get to the other side however long it takes. So I guess you're also preempting a little I mean I'm I'm going to ask you sort of whether, what you've been reading but it sounds like to some degree it's not a whole lot but what have you been reading and critically is it any good? <laughs>
1: Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading for research, um, but at the moment I find I'm doing actually a lot of rereading. I'm reading books that I've read before because novelty uh, is too frightening for some reason. Um, so for fiction, I'm rereading Alan Moore's Jerusalem, which is great. It should probably get me through the rest of the pandemic till they find a vaccine. <laughs> Until the next one. Yeah, and uh, for nonfiction, actually, I managed to read something new, which was uh, Chronicles of a Liquid Society by Umberto Eco. And I hadn't read a ton of his nonfiction, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, It's got this very crunchy, curmudgeonly feel to it, and a lot of the essays were written later in his life, in his late 70s and early 80s. And there's just this splendid feel of kids these days. TV these days, the internet, and he's just shaking his <laughs> fist at these brand new things that have come into his life. I love it.
0: <laughs> so you ready for everybody to get off of your lawn?
1: <laughs> I I'm starting to develop it. Yeah, I I don't even have a lawn, and I'm thinking <laughs> I, everybody needs to get off my lawn.
0: <laughs> a, a virtual lawn. So yeah. you know, um, I think you've kind of answered this as well. But I'm going to ask anyway. Are the things that you would recommend to people? It sounds like you yourself, when you're reading fiction, have turned to comfort read, you know, comfort reads, the re-reads, the like. Don't give me novelty. Do you feel like that is the way to go and go now, or can you see the 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 attraction of getting to that sort of project that's been sitting around forever, read, you know, to read, you know, like time to pull out Proust, right, uh, and and read that because you know, hey, why not?
1: Uh, I think I actually know someone who's ah uh, who who picked up the Proust from his bookshelf and uh, texted me a couple of updates about it and then went quiet and <laughs> I just I assumed the worst I think the Proust killed him, but that and that's a good question. I I'm reaching for comfort reads uh, and I know almost as many people who are reaching for novelty and immersion and a feeling that they are definitively somewhere else because these are people who um, get very kind of immersed in things and see themselves as accompanying a journey. And I, I find myself also kind of doing that, reading uh, quest books and books with travel and people, for some reason, getting out of the house um, or, or places I haven't been. Uh, Gun Island by Amitav Ghosh actually comes to mind, which is set in almost everywhere. I haven't been, I just loved it. Uh, there's kind of a a freshness to it of someone from India spending lots of time in Italy and remarking upon and sort of commentating the climate crisis and the refugee crisis and his own personal crisis as they're happening. You feel very much in the moment as the narrator goes along. And um, I'm thinking I I want to do a... uh, an Elric reread the, the Michael Moorcock books. Mm-hmm. Because Elric doesn't stay in the house, even though he <laughs> frankly probably should, should stay in the house. <laughs> um, and and I'm thinking of rereading the Broken Earth trilogy as well, which yep. again, a, a quest, a journey in an unfamiliar place that is not these same four walls that I've been in for months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Well let me let me ask you then when it comes to work, what do you have in the world? I do recall you had a, a second novel came out earlier in the, this year, wasn't it? Uh, Beneath the Rising. Uh, it came out, like, I think in January. Uh, and I re- seem to recall the elevator pitch, because you and I share editors and publishers by chance, uh, it was what all the birds in the sky meets Love, Lovecraft country. So tell me about, and readers, please, about Beneath the Rising. What is this book that you made?
1: Oh, this is my debut novel. Uh, So it's very, very exciting. It came out in March, right at the start of the pandemic. And uh, I wasn't sure what to think about that part of me was like, well, oh, no, now people can't find it in bookstores. And then, oh, well, maybe they'll hang out at home (laughs) and and read it. Um, I didn't come up with those two comps, because I haven't actually read the two books. But I, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I've been describing it a lot with Uh, logline that I someone I bumped into last year at Dublin Worldcon gave me and he said it's about a scientist who solves the world's energy problem and creates a bunch more problems which I thought was hilarious but basically uh, uh, a child prodigy scientist and inventor and her best friend end up uh, accidentally attracting the attention of Earth's ancient enemies these terrible cosmic horror monsters and uh They show up raring to go and ready to invade, and these two are basically the only ones who can attempt to stop it with whatever they've got on their side, which they fervently hope is going to be enough.
0: So tell me, where did you find the story? How long ago did you start working on Beneath the Rising?
1: Uh, I actually started in my first undergrad, so I was about 18, and I finished it the year I graduated, so I was about 20, and then I just kind of uh, sat on it because that's what I've done with all the books that I've written up (laughs) until that point. And uh, when I decided I wanted to uh, seek out a literary agent, of course, you need a a finished novel for that. And I had all these terrible, trunked, half-finished monstrosities of three hundred or 400,000 words. (laughs) But that one was done. (laughs) (laughs) So it moved to the top of the list, and I polished it up. And it very much has every mark of having been written in 2002
0: I think <laughs> <laughs> you're talking it up here Premi. <laughs> so, I mean, how has the experience been taking it then from that 2002 novel to a book which many people say feels like a real 2020 book I mean you've gone through a, a, a uh, trade publisher editorial process all that kind of thing how's all that been getting getting the book into the world
1: Uh, That went pretty smoothly, I felt. Um, I polished it up a little uh, to query with. My agent also gave it a polish, but it's about 85% original. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty impressed that more changes weren't requested for a book written by a sleep-deprived undergrad who was constantly high on solvent fumes
0: from the lab. (laughs) Um. Now, that that sounds actually like like a perfect uh, recipe for writing a (laughs) novel.
1: yeah it turned out to be the uh, the difficulty i think came with uh trying to write a sequel 18 years later and no longer being a peer uh or the same age as the kids in the book yeah now i'm at the age where i would like teenagers to make good decisions and stand <laughs> up straight and cut their hair and get a job and get off my lawn so everything is
0: difficult <laughs> Yeah, how 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 is that? I mean, how? I mean, you you've basically said it there earlier that effectively This is the book you've turned in during the year. The set the sequel, which is due out, I think, early next year. Um, how how is it marrying that up as as an experience now? Because obviously, I guess you must sit there with the original manuscript or with a, with a complete book that's that's out in the world, and you're very aware that you need to marry it as a reading experience. That must be a strange thing, because not not least because you have that period of time of lived experience, writing experience. You're not that writer you were when you originally wrote Beneath the Rising.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like I've been asked to write fanfic of something (laughs) that I had no part in producing. Uh, Even when I sent it out and then got edits back, which took almost a year, I reread it and my first thought was, who wrote this? I mean, this isn't bad, but I don't know who (laughs) wrote it. And for some reason they put my name on it. But that that process as you're describing it is very, very difficult. You've got the first book. And then again, 18 years later, you're supposed to have the second book. And you've got now this time the expectation of readers, which the first one did not have. I was the only one who ever read any of my stuff. Uh, For decades, it wasn't until about 2016 that another living person (laughs) had started (laughs) to read any of my fiction. (laughs) Uh, So now I've got this, oh my gosh, I have to please myself first, but also my agent and my editor and the copy editor and people who buy the book and book reviewers and booktubers and booksellers and like that guy out there and just random people. <laughs> I've, I've never written a sequel before. And this is also the first book that I've written on contract because they bought two at the same time. So I just have, I feel all this weird new pressure that's never existed for any other book I've written.
0: Given that it did come out at the beginning, well, just before the pandemic came in and the pandemic comes in and kind of quashes so many things in terms of people being in the world more than anything else does it feel real that you've had a book out
1: yes they sent me a box of them
0: <laughs> yeah but i mean i've had that happen it feels like i mean i'm at the end of the world it feels like it could be a prank right there's 20 of them and that may be all of them right
1: and that's a good point too uh in fact because and my parents love this too they go what you've never met your agent face-to-face? You've yeah. never met your editor face-to-face? Well, no, I met my editor last year at Worldcon, or anyway, a guy who said he was my editor and seemed pretty knowledgeable about the book. I don't know. I guess he could have been putting it all on. Um, <laughs> it still kind of, for that reason, doesn't feel 100% real. It felt a little more real when I turned in the sequel, actually, yeah. and and had a little celebration for it. Both books felt more real then.
0: And do you, do you find yourself thinking differently about what you're writing and how you're writing now that you've had this experience of having a first book come out, you've got a second book that is sold, scheduled, happening, and suddenly now, whether or not you always thought of yourself as a writer, you're now a professional writer who's in a career with books you're hoping to do in the future,
1: Yes, it does feel different. It, uh, and again, frankly, it's terrifying. But, <laughs> uh, and, and actually, uh, another book has been sold during this period. So there's another one coming out. And it's, uh, I keep waiting for it to feel less fraught and for the pressure to feel less heavy. But uh, it's like I said, it's the weight of all these expectations. Those are new. And it's it's not even the same like with short fiction, right? You you toss yeah. off a short story and you're like, "That was fun. I hope I sell it. But if I don't, nothing happens." But now there's contracts. There's <laughs> there's money. I could take the money and go buy books. It's all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and of course, it still that, feels that, very new. <laughs> that classic classic thing that so many writers I talk to say, and that I've felt because of the way I do anthologies and things, is. It's you've sold something that doesn't exist, right? You know, it's not like you've when you sold Beneath the Rising, Beneath the Rising was like a thing. There you go. I'll do a little bit of work to make it happen and we can sign a contract and everybody feels good. Fantastic. Then it's like this other thing later. And you're obviously finding later is now not so much later. Do you think some of the challenges you're finding in terms of focusing on writing aren't actually the pandemic they are trying to fit your headspace into being a professional writer who has to write all the time
1: yes there's definitely that and and the feel that my fun little hobby uh is now a thing that has other people involved in it uh professional people in fact um some very famous people big names and Mm. Uh, every time, like, for instance, Cameron Hurley retweets me or something, I jump because I forget that she follows me. <laughs> and...
0: <laughs> have you yet got to the point where you viscerally understand that Cameron Hurley now is just like... or you are just like Cameron Hurley was then?
1: I have or not Nora got to Jemison that point. Or
0: Nora is just like you were then? It's... I have
1: extremely not got to that point. I still refer to myself as a noob writer or an emerging writer or, or whatever we're supposed to be calling ourselves. I understand the baby writer is out of favor and it's an unpleasant phrase anyway. But, and, and of course the other problem with being a writer with uh, contracts and deadlines and uh, editors and people that say they'll buy you a beer if you get them a review copy is that of course I have a day job And the day job is something like 40 to 70 hours a week, so I have to write around that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that there might be a time when you would reconsider the amount of time you put into the day job to spend more time writing?
1: Uh, If writing would like to give me some money to do that, I would say no.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) Well, I, I genuinely hope it does. Now, Beneath the Rising is out in the world right now, and the sequel, which is called...
1: Currently we're calling it A Broken Darkness. I don't know if that's going to change or not. I think that's up to the marketing department, but I like it. And it's supposed to be out, I believe, March 2021.
0: So these are, well, certainly Beneath the Rising is out in good, average, even hopefully terrible bookstores all around the world. The next book will be out in March. I want to say uh, to Premi, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I genuinely appreciate it.
1: Thank you so, so much for the invite. This was fun.